0: Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On the first segment of today's show, I'll be joined by Yale Film Studies professor and documentary filmmaker Charles Musser to talk about the fourth annual New Haven Documentary Film Fest, which runs from June 1st through June 11th at the Whitney Humanities Center and the main branch of the New Haven Free Public Library, both of which are in downtown New Haven. Uh, Charlie is one of the co-founders of the festival, as well as one of the current co-directors, and we'll talk about this year's lineup of screenings and programs, some of the key themes that he and his co-director, Gorman Bouchard, are seeing in documentary filmmaking in this city and the state, and maybe some reflections on documentary filmmaking in 2017 more broadly. On the second segment of the show, I'll be joined by New Haven Independent staff writer Alan Appel for a review of Alien Covenant the latest installment in the four-decade-old sci-fi horror action series that finds a new ship, a new crew, and a new planet beset by the same old problems of nature, technology, and big chomping mouths with very sharp teeth. Uh, But first, I'm very happy to welcome back to the show Charles Musser. Charles Musser is an author, filmmaker, and professor of American Studies, Film Studies, and Theater Studies at Yale University. Charles is one of the co-founders and co-directors of the New Haven Documentary Film Festival, along with Gorman Bouchard. And Charles has been on WNHH programs a number of times, including this one last year, and Tom Ficklin's show uh, earlier this year, last year, sometime, somewhat recently. Uh, so, Charles, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: It's Great to be here as well, Tom.
0: Excellent. And I'm going to ask you to get nice up and close on the mic. Maybe even pulled a bit closer to you if that's oh, far. Yeah. But these are are quite directional. Excellent. So. Uh, for listeners unfamiliar with this fest, you can certainly go back to episode 36 of this show and check out our conversation uh, that provides a, a bit deeper of a background on the, the origin of the fest and the mission. But, Charles, for uh, for people completely unfamiliar with it, maybe could you give a, a high-level overview of, of what New Haven Docks is? Uh, what What's what's going to be going on over the next, uh, I guess, two weeks uh, sure. in downtown New Haven?
1: My, my pleasure. So, yes, as you said, this is our fourth annual installment of uh, nh docs the new haven documentary film festival and uh you know just started four years ago as an afternoon of screenings of, of films by four new haven filmmakers who stumbled across each other at the big sky documentary film festival in missoula montana and we really didn't know each other we didn't know each other's films and and uh so we were pleased astonished but also embarrassed that uh that new haven film culture was in such disarray and and so we decided to screen our films for each other and for our friends, and that was really the beginning of the film festival. Uh, the next year, it was uh, three days of programming of material f- by uh, filmmakers in uh, Connecticut, uh, mostly New Haven. Uh, and then last year, we uh, expanded to uh, 11 days, uh, two long weekends, and, and we at first we thought we'd be dark in the middle of the week, but we had so many films that we just... Uh, screen nonstop. Uh, this year, we're again uh, having eleven days, uh, two long weekends, and in between. But you know, we find ourselves uh, expanding uh, still further in a number of different ways. So,
0: so what- I, w- I was listening back to our interview from from last year, and one of the, uh, the kind of more resonant parts of your description of the mission of New Haven Docks and the origin of it for me was that you were looking to create or kind of find coalesce a community of filmmakers and also a community of kind of film loving audiences here in New Haven. And as you just you know briefly described that four year trajectory that New Haven Docs has gone on gone on, before we even jump into this year's slate of movies, um, do you feel like that is happening? Do you feel like through this festival, I mean you've you've lived in New Haven and been working in movies and around movies for a long time, um, in the city and elsewhere. I, I wonder if you feel like the uh, the New Haven filmmaking and film loving community is a bit more kind of concrete in your understanding, uh, in some way because of
1: NH Docs. Well, I mean, for sure. But this year, I think actually, in particular, I mean, if we were to say what is the theme uh, of this year's festival, I mean, I actually think the theme is New Haven. Um, we have a wider range of films uh, about people who work in New Haven, about communities in New Haven, about Incidents in New Haven, I'm, our opening night film is uh, I Am Shakespeare, the Henry Green story. Uh, Henry Green was a high school student who uh, led a double life. Uh, uh, a star uh, of, the, of uh, high school theater uh, starred in Romeo and Juliet and then almost later that evening uh, was shot and left for dead as a gang member. Um, and, and so this is a film about uh, the complexities of... Uh, for many people growing up in New Haven uh, and the potential tragedies, but also perhaps what we can learn about it. Um, we're uh, also showing uh, Texcala dreams uh, about the uh, Mexican immigrant community that has really actually been a very vital part of New Haven, but I think is not so well known uh, by people and even by people in that quite large community that they haven't had a chance to maybe see themselves uh, on the screen. Uh, we're also showing uh, a documentary, Food Haven, about the many restaurants and uh, international cuisine uh, that has, uh, I think, helped fuel the New Haven Renaissance. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I could go on. Uh, well, no,
0: let's let's sit with that that New Haven theme and, and maybe those three movies uh, for a second, because I think that so we've had. Of those three movies you've referenced, we've had two of those filmmakers on this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stephen Dest and Henry Green came on to talk about I Am Shakespeare a couple months ago, and then Jim O'Connor came on just a few weeks ago to talk about Food Haven. And I think that I Am Shakespeare is really the perfect movie to open this festival with, because... Uh, yes, it describes the kind of multiplicity of identities that really all of us contain, but also something unique to a kid growing up in Newhallville like Henry Green did, running in a gang in kind of one part of his life and also, you know, acting in theater productions. I think he went to co-op and, and Stephen Des was a professor of his, but it looks at how this, you know, we talk a lot about the town gown divide in New Haven, and even though Yale University is the gown doesn't necessarily play a role specifically in in this story. Um, I think that what town gown ultimately gets at is this this kind of divide in American society based on class based on race based on gender, and how culture often sits at the kind of the middle of that divide so Henry as someone so drawn to the the um, kind of artistic and theatrical uh, creativity of the Shakespeare plays but also because of his you know background and uh his experience growing up in new hallville so drawn to the uh for lack of a better word the like very violent street life of of that community um i wonder and also it's it's an it's a very it's a formally ambitious movie that has almost kind of just one head-on shot of, of henry i mean for most of the movie it's just henry kind of telling his story to the camera um I wonder if we could sit with I Am Shakespeare for a second more. What is it that drew you to this movie? And is this, uh, I don't know, is this representative of the types of documentaries that you think best get at the, I don't know, the, the complexities of living in New Haven and living such a, in such a segregated and, and divided city? Or is this um, more of an exciting filmmaker that you want to highlight? T- tell me a bit about what, what drew you to I Am Shakespeare to feature it so prominently in, in this festival.
1: Well, uh, I think you've explained very well why it was a logical uh, opening night film. I, I mean, my, uh, I'm the guardian of my nephew who goes to Wilbur Cross School. Um, you know, my, my son goes to public school. Uh, you know, We have a lot of different interactions um, with different parts of the New Haven community. Uh, I mean, in some ways you're right, it's segregated, but in other ways... It's relatively permeable if at least if you want to pursue that. Uh if you and, and so um and indeed, you know, I, I think the film itself, uh, that it's made by Stephen Dest, uh, who's uh you know, a white guy who teaches theater and you know, stars a student of his, uh, I I mean says a lot about some of the kind of potential complexities, uh and potential, really, of New Haven. I would say. I mean, you know, with the problems come opportunities, and with the opportunities also are a result of problems. So, so I think that's embodied in in that film. And and, and uh, you know, uh, there's another film that you know, in many ways, is a complement that uh, to that. And, and we'll be showing that uh, on Friday night. That's uh, the passionate pursuits of Angela Bowen, who uh, an African American woman who, for many years, ran an outstanding dance troupe uh, here our dance uh, school uh, here in New Haven and, and uh, you know, then went on to actually to have a a career as a professor and ultimately moved to the West coast. But for many years, I mean, she was a a vital part of us, of new, of New Haven culture. So, um, so, so, I mean, it's a film that, uh, and again, you can check this out on, on our website, uh, www.nhdocs.com. And there's a, a wonderful trailer for that film, which, might excite people uh to to really come and 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 watch it um so uh you know what's what's interesting is in fact there's so many of these films this year what is it about this year i mean i think with i am shakespeare and, and maybe some other films i mean we're in the moment of black lives matters um there's been enough time between when black lives matters sort of emerged and there's been time for a kind of cultural filmmaking response and and i think that's one of the things uh, we see. Uh, it's interesting. We also, um, besides all these films about New Haven, and we could go on to what some of the others are, there's also a lot of material, of nonfiction material by people in New Haven. Uh, filmmakers are people who make webisodes uh, that people, some of whom I knew a little bit, some of whom I've really just discovered uh, for for the first time. Um, Cynthia Farrar, for instance, uh, is just finishing a film about uh prisoners uh in the in the Connecticut prison system who, who who have left and are one year out um uh and we couldn't show that film for various reasons it's going to run on frontline but she's been making a lot of short films about all sorts of things having to do with politics in in America but in particular um uh she made a series of films about couples one of whom was a Republican, one of whom was a Democrat, and how they how they survived together, how they managed to get along, really as a way of of uh, thinking about how we in such a divided country uh, might, might get along. So she was someone who I, you know, she actually has a kind of loose Yale affiliation, uh, but uh, I've been here 25 years and I only met her for the first time this fall. Um, Tom Ficklin, uh, who, uh, as you said, I was on his radio program, well, He's uh, actually uh, doing a showing a work in progress called "The Sanctuary of the Soul," um, and it's about uh, sacred music in black churches in New Haven. And uh, you know they're they're on his YouTube site, you know, and they just sort of sat there. And uh, you know, I was talking to Tom and encouraged him to do something about it. And suddenly he became very inspired. So this is the beginnings of a project that maybe we'll show next year. And uh, You know, it it was, to me, it opened a whole new world about New Haven. And I think that's true about almost every one of these films is that they show us a part of New Haven that we didn't really know about or I didn't know about or I didn't know about to the extent to which I I have now learned about it. So, you know, I I asked Tom, uh, well, how many black churches uh, are there in New Haven? And, you know, he sort of said, well, how many do you think? And I said, I don't know, 40, 45. He said well I think the number's somewhere between 200 and 300. And, and I, that just blew me away. I mean, just like told me how much and, and I've asked that question of my friends and and you know their their numbers have been similar to mine and very very far away from what appears to be the actual situation that Tom knows so well. So
0: you know I think you're I think you're getting at a really uh, interesting aspect of NH docs that I want to um, pause and reflect on for a second which is uh, the incredible uh, just gamut of um, films and filmmakers and kind of filmmaking experience featured in the festival. By by my count, there are over 75 different movies between features and shorts, uh, and that's not counting the the workshops uh, that will be uh, happening in, as part of NH Talks. And on the one hand, you have more kind of professional experience filmmakers like Stephen Dest or Jennifer Abid for Passionate Pursuits of Angela Bowen, or of course Gorman Bichard as well, who will be playing in a few of his movies here. And then you have, I mean, Tom Ficklin is a veteran reporter in in New Haven and has been and a media reporter as well and is by no means, you know, a a novice behind the camera, but I think that You know, what we try to get at here through community radio on WNHH is that we have something like 30 or 25, 30 different programs that happen over the course of the week. All the hosts are volunteer, and not all of them are professional journalists or even journalists at all. They're people who have lived in and know the city very well, and they kind of, they show, you know, they, they bring in people who... Uh, they want to to spotlight for the New Haven community um, through our airwaves, and I think there's something very special about having a Tom Ficklin go out to I don't know if he went to 200 different black churches no, throughout New Haven, but <laughs> I'm sure that he is you know more intimately familiar with that environment than maybe a more like seasoned filmmaker from outside of New Haven who would come in and try to well, he, talk he, about that.
1: So I mean, Tom Ficklin, you know, has a divinity degree from uh, the Yale Divinity School. I mean, so this is. Something that he has a kind of, you know, sophisticated and intimate and longstanding uh, knowledge and interest in, um, and, and I think, I, I mean, I, I think this has been the case for us in a number of situations. Where this year, really for the first time, we've actually been able to encourage people to finish work or start work that wouldn't have happened otherwise. That you know, one of the things we're really trying to do. And I think, without going out of our way too much, uh, you know, sp- rather spontaneously, is to help generate a, a certain kinds of creativity within New Haven that might not have otherwise happened. And uh, you know, I think, you know, Tom's film, you know, it's a long way between like getting excited about an idea and, and finishing it. But uh, you know, I I think that. You know, if he is able to, and I'm optimistic and, and going to certainly help him uh, to the extent to which he wants it and needs it, you know, to, to, to realize something. I mean, this could be a really fabulous piece of work. Um, you know, then I, again, people like Kika Matos, who, you know, is well known, I, I think, uh, as a community organizer in this uh, city. Turns out that she's been making some short uh, videos in relationship to the immigration uh situation uh, around illegal or undocumented immigration so um so i mean this is it we you know finding a community uh of of sort of people getting at the new haven getting at new haven from different perspectives uh, Lu- lucille um bruce uh who um uh has been working with yale new haven hospital uh, around uh making some short videos along with uh uh, you know, so so, and we're also going to be showing some some short videos uh, that uh, Lackey will be uh, has been working with students uh, or patients uh, uh, to make uh, while they're uh, in the hospital. So I mean, there's just like a lot of a lot of activity going on, uh, you know, which I think actually adds up to a lot, and it adds up to a lot more if, in fact, we know about it and somehow see it as as as, as something about what's happening in in New Haven now, today, and in all its complexity.
0: So m- many of, just to give uh, listeners a basic understanding of the, the structure of the festival, we haven't made that clear yet, it starts on June 1st, goes through June 11th, and there will be, all of the screenings are, are free and open to the public, Is was I right? I, I believe that's, that's right. right. That's right. Hey, and with, uh, one,
1: with one small exception, which is on Tuesday night, uh, we will be uh, showing a Penny Baker film about Bob Dylan, and uh, there'll be... At, at Cafe Nine, and there'll be a bunch of uh, uh, musicians uh, playing Dylan f- uh, songs uh, after the film, and, and and there'll be a nominal cover charge there.
0: And those musicians, also New Haven stalwarts, I saw Paul Balbosti on that lineup, Mercy Choir, Brendan Toller, who's been featured in previous iterations of New Haven Documentary Film Fest, whose movie Danny Says will be playing. Right. Um and this is, I mean, talk about something that NH Docs has done over and over again, feature movies about music. I don't know if that is um, more the kind of driving force of, of Gorman Bouchard and he being a rock and roll documentary filmmaker himself um, or a collaboration between all the people involved with NH Docs. But you guys always seem to bring very interesting, usually local uh, documentaries about music to New Haven, and then, of course, have it at Cafe Nine with with a coinciding concert. Um, Last year, you had a a student filmmaking program, and I see that that is also that program, and I don't know if it's a competition at all, but there's a student filmmaking section of uh, this year's NH Docs featuring students from Yale, Quinnipiac, uh, Southern Connecticut, Western Connecticut, really all over. Um, Can you tell me a bit about that part of the program? Uh, Are you... How how are you getting students involved with this? Uh, wh- where are the students coming from? What what are these movies? I mean,
1: the the students are coming from all over Connecticut and Rhode Island, uh, but particularly Connecticut. So uh, it, the competition is open to uh, any student who goes to uh, a college, or actually, there's quite a few uh, films from high school students in the New Haven area uh, as well. But uh, coll- college, uh, high school, uh, well, middle school even. Uh, in, in Connecticut and Rhode Island or, or uh, students who are from uh, originally from Connecticut that may go to school out of state um, so so that's uh, it, it's it's again it, it has a kind of local uh, e- emphasis and and I think that's good you know uh, one, one thing is there's a lot of film festivals that sort of show a certain kind of Sort of festival documentary, and and you know those documentaries are often you know extremely interesting. They're well done, but they exclude a lot of films that are also extremely interesting and are well done sometimes in a different way. That and so, you know what I like is the fact that we're sh- we're showing up in some ways a wider range of films because we we have limited our selections based on other criteria, uh, which is. You know, Connecticut. We, we, for instance, have uh, are showing a documentary, uh, High School 911, ab- about a group of high school students who run an emergency uh, ambulance service in, in Darien. Um, uh, there's a, another documentary uh, about five veterans uh, of World War II who live in uh, Bethlehem, Connecticut. So, I mean, yes, New Haven, but also, you know, truly Connecticut. So, um so we, we have that, uh, you know, I think that's the local part of our festival, and it's like a major part of our festival, but we also have snuck in a few, I think, outstanding documentaries, and in particular, we have brought up um, kind of legendary uh, filmmaker and his filmmaking partner, D.A. Pennybaker and Chris Hedges, who Penny Baker is sort of the really the sole surviving star of first wave cinema verite, which started you know, in the early 1960s. Uh, and, uh, Could you he, give us
0: just the basic principles of what, what what, what, do, what well, do you mean by cinema well, verite? Well,
1: cinema verite involved mobile cameras with the mobile sound unit sort of filming people doing whatever they're doing rather than having them, as had been necessary in the past, uh, sort of stage them or act them out. Because if you as if you wanted anyone to speak, you had to carefully planet and stage it. So once you had this mobile and lightweight equipment, suddenly the camera could be following people rather than people performing for the camera. So it was a total kind of transformation in in cinema. Um, The problem was actually, uh, and that there was a lot of vitality around that, but film has always been expensive and it became much more expensive uh, in the 70s and and early 80s. Um, And and so cinema verite sort of in some ways stalled and other forms. And they were theoretical issues that people theoretical challenges to cinema verite as well but with the emergence of digital media suddenly you could film you know today i mean you can film a couple of hours of of film for like you know seven dollars uh you know or ten dollar uh sd card and then you can download to computer erase it and start all over again so cinema verite has really been transformed and revived uh in, uh, in recent years uh, by uh, digital media. And uh, I think that uh, Penny Baker and his partner, Chris Hedges, uh, uh, and their partners in professional as well as personal life, um, that they were really uh, one of the crucial people for this kind of revival. I mean, they, they remain committed to the cinema verite approach. Uh, and... Uh, we're able to take advantage of new technologies to revive it and rethink it. It's I think one of the exciting aspects of documentary today. So to have them up here, uh, showing those award-winning films, uh, one of the films, uh, God spoke Al Franken, uh, is a portrait of Al Franken as he's thinking about moving from comedy and, and news broadcasting into, into politics. And, you know, He won his Senate seat by such a small, tiny, tiny margin that I'm sure that film must have made a difference because when you see that film, you really actually can't come away from it without sort of respecting Al Franken in some way. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean you'd vote for him, but I think for many people, seeing that film enabled them to take him seriously in a way that uh, they might not have otherwise. Um, And I I
0: think that what, um, just to take a step back for a second, so you have been... uh, Programming for the International Festival of Arts and Ideas for I think a, a long time now, maybe a, de- a decade, decade plus. Um, but just recently, I mean, this NH Docs is only four years old, and I don't know if last year was the first formal collaboration between this and Arts and Ideas. But um, but now y- you these two organizations, NH Docs and Arts and Ideas, are kind of working together to. To kind of highlight a particular kind of prominent, important uh, filmmaker. In this case, a documentary filmmaker. Right. Last year, you had Alex Gipney, Previous years, you had Alan Perlinner, Joe Berlinger. Um, so Sam
1: Pollard, Sam Spike Pollard. Lee. Uh, you know, we've had a, a range of uh, of really, I think, important. Uh, you know, yeah. Sort of legend in some cases legendary, but certainly always important filmmakers.
0: And one of one of the very exciting things about this time of year for me is seeing you know six or seven movies by um you know Alex Gibney in a row and being able to make connections between his different works made over the course of you know decades um, to see what themes he's interested in, uh, what he returns to over and over again. But I think what is even more exciting about this incorporation of the featured artists into NH Docs is that you get to watch something like the War Room in juxtaposition with one of the titles that jumped out at me, NH Docs, is called, I think, Politics of the People, which mm-hmm. is maybe a 15-minute documentary following around local politicians, Jeanette Morrison and Gary Winfield. Uh, and I, I love the idea, I mean, you're talking about how, uh, about the profile of Al Franken. I mean, I think the War Room functions in a somewhat somewhat similar way in showing, you know, Clinton as uh, Bill Clinton in 1992, and 91 and 92, as sitting on this divide of this kind of Pop, you know, culture phenomena. I mean, almost a, a rock star era uh, politician who is kind of rap, who is buoyed by these, you know these aides james carville and george stephanopoulos who kind of work at the speed of light i mean they're they're working truly at the the speed of the 24-hour kind of news cycle and that is what kind of helps propel him uh to the presidency to see that juxtaposed with how a current political campaign is run or whatever i mean what either winfield and morrison walking the streets or whatever this movie is doing to profile them i i find really exciting
1: (laughs) well uh yeah, uh, Brianna Burroughs, uh, who who made this really series of webisodes, uh, "Politics of People," right, looks at these uh, two very local politicians and then puts them in in dialogue with with some voters. And you know, the question is, how how do they respond to voters? How how can voters get them to take the issues they care about seriously? Um, it's about politics on the really local level, and the argument being is that's where actually. Actually, you can get a lot of things done, um, and that actually was one of several films that uh, I think prov- provided a kind of challenge because it is a, a, a series of webisodes, and and we we felt that maybe the best place to show that was not, in fact, uh, on the big screen uh, in the Whitney Humanities Center, and so we we started something that I think we're going to do regularly now called, uh, the NH docs videotech. And those are, those films are going to be, uh, the politics of people will, will be run a number of times uh, on Friday, m- Monday, and Tuesday during the festival. That is on June 2nd, 5th and 6th. Is that right? Yes. yes. And, um, and, and so people, you know, when the, when the, when the library opens, uh, we'll start really at two hours of programming, um, we're also going to be showing uh, "Journey the N Word" uh, by uh, Frank Harris Frank III, Harris. Uh, uh, which really he he's been engaged in this N Word project uh, about that unmentionable uh, word uh, uh, for a long time, and it's taken the shape of uh, a documentary. Um, so he'll actually be there himself uh, on on Monday. Uh, about 1 o'clock, to talk about the film after it screens. Um, so, I mean, that's that's uh, an- another thing is, you know, finding people like, uh, like Frank to, uh, to become part of what we're doing and to get to know him a little bit. It's, uh, and ho- hopefully viewers will get to know him a little bit t- too who might not go to uh, Southern Connecticut State University, like my wife.
0: Now, any, I want to mention at least one more aspect of NH Talks before we end our conversation, and those are the two workshops that you are holding over the course of this festival. Um, these are kind of hands-on. I mean, one is called a guerrilla filmmaking workshop. Uh, the other is a workshop on documentary cinematography. Um, could you uh, tell me and the listeners a bit about what those two are and, and how, they, how they function in the larger context of of NH Talks?
1: Yeah, I mean, these are for people who you know, have some experience making documentaries. I mean, you know, and can learn some tr- tricks of the trade from uh, an experienced cinematographer or, you know, people who are interested in trying to find funding for their projects. You know, people are always asking me, well, you know, I, I want to make this documentary, but I need to f- raise some money. Do you know anything, any way to do that? And and I think Kickstarter uh, and crowdsourcing is uh, a major way these days to fund uh Many kinds of projects. So, uh, you know, these workshops are for people who are just getting started, or they're for people who are on their way, but you know, need to maybe pick up some new new ideas, some new perspectives, uh, keep things fresh. So, I think they they should really be uh, two quite exciting events, and you know, we really hope that people turn out for them.
0: Um, the the last question I want to throw your way bef- before you go, Charles, um, is maybe taking a step back and uh, looking at documentary filmmaking a bit more broadly in, in 2017, maybe even outside of the context of NH Docs. I mean, again, as someone who has taught about uh, film and filmmaking for a long time and has worked on films, uh, now you know programs, a, a festival. Uh, you were just talking about the kind of. Uh, resurgence of uh, cinema verite style with the advent of, um, digital, uh, uh, filmmaking. Um, I, I wonder if there are, if you see this as a particularly kind a of, fruitful, like exciting, productive time for documentary films more broadly, um, is this, uh, looking at not just the, the hyperlocal and even Connecticut landscape, but, what's happening in the movie theater downtown or when you look on Netflix or wherever else you, you turn to watch movies. Do you, I mean, do you see this as a, a, an art form that is thriving right now, um, even outside the context of, of N.H. Dogs?
1: <laughs> you uh, express it so well, my temptation is to simply say yes. But <laughs> of course, um, uh, I mean, digital media has made it possible to experiment in all sorts of ways and for people to make films instead of spending all your time trying to raise money which is what i had to do in the 1970s and 80s you know you can go out and choose something and then hope you can pick up some finishing funds uh, you know it's it's liberating yes there are these s- still high end documentaries where experienced filmmakers get large advances to make films on important topics or important individuals but then there's the opportunity to you know to do your own thing and uh, so that's uh you know, I think that's what a lot of people are doing. And I have to say that teaching documentary, which is what I do at Yale now, half my course load is teaching documentary film workshop. I mean, these students can really make uh, remarkable work. So student films uh, today are much more like uh, first films by professional filmmakers, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I mean, students make... Make films all the time that uh, I think are the equal of the film I made as my first professional film. That won you know a bunch of awards uh, at you know fairly you know prominent educational film festivals. So I, I mean the the level of work on every level is is gotten to be much higher and much more complex. And it's just a the the, the rewards of going to our festival and seeing it. I think uh, will be quickly self evident to anyone who. Uh, gets their way down to uh, either the uh, New Haven Free Public Library or the Whitney Humanity Center, uh, 53 Wall Street. Well, this is
0: certainly one of my favorite times of year. And if you're listening to the show, you're probably into movies and New Haven, so I think that you would thoroughly enjoy it as well. The website, this is key. Everyone will make sure to post this on our website, deepfocusradio.com as well. But to find a complete schedule for the festival, go to, what is the website?
1: www.nhdocs.com. N-H-D-O-C-S dot com. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of trailers for films. Not every film has a trailer, but many of them do. Posters, uh, stills, descriptions. Um, you know, I, I think uh, if you if you go there, you'll see things you'll want to see. You'll-
0: so we'll make sure to post a link to that on our site. Um, thank you so much for coming by and, t- and talking about the fest today. Uh, Charles, Professor Musser, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll make sure to uh, see you at the festival. Okay. See coming up there. next, a review of the latest Alien movie with Alan Appel. But first, let's hear a little bit of local band Allison Jackson.
2: I'm cold and hungry, would you turn me away? And if I had no money, would you beg me to stay? Please tell me what you seek. Please know that I am weak. There's nothing but the sky above. in my own name Welcome
0: back to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On the second segment of the show, this segment right here, uh, I'll be joined by my regular movie reviewing buddy, Alan Appel, for a discussion of Alien Covenant, the sixth entry in the sci-fi horror action series that dates back to 1979, when director Ridley Scott first envisioned Sigourney Weaver's Ripley battling against a chest-bursting monster aboard the cargo spaceship Nostromo. Uh, Alan, welcome back to the show. Hi, uh, pleasure I, no. to have you here. Are, is are you Alan or are you an alien? Alien, the Alan. Alan, the alien. I can hear you. Can you not I hear? I can't.
3: You? I can't. I can't hear you through the microphone, but I guess that's okay.
0: As as long as I can, you're coming up on the same. Yeah. Words. No. I'm.
3: <laughs> uh. I, I, my children. Uh. I once told. Uh. When they they were puzzled by something that I did, I told them I was from Venus. <laughs> So I guess that makes me an alien. So you're particularly
0: qualified to talk about this. I'm
3: tremendously qualified (laughs) to do a a review as seen through the eyes of an alien. So
0: (laughs) Alien Covenant, a two-hour space-traveling action horror sci-fi movie, opens with a quiet conversation between an android and his creator. Michael Fassbender plays David, a genetically engineered specimen of not quite human perfection, who wakes up in the pristine apartment, or laboratory, or whatever it is, uh, of his creator Peter Whalen, played by Guy Pearce. The room is long, low, and blindingly white looking out on a dramatically serene landscape of mountains and water, and sparsely decorated with a handful of masterpieces of human culture. Uh, Steinway Piano, a painting by Piero della Francesca, and Michelangelo's towering sculpture of David's namesake.
3: A reproduction, please.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, Or a sequel, should (laughs) I say. (laughs) The tense, probing conversation that ensues and the drama of the movie more broadly hinges upon the kind of uncertain boundaries between the android, the human, and the cultural artifacts in between. Is David simply a demonstration of human genius, like a piano or a painting? Is he a fully autonomous, emotional, free-thinking being, like the man standing next to him? Or is he something else, close enough to a man to feel as if he is one, but too far away to be deemed worthy of recognition, respect, and independence? Alan. Do you think Alien Covenant follows through on the opening scene's promise to explore the very essence of what it means to be human in an age of advanced technology? Or did you find yourself impatient at the philosophical ramblings and eager for the next alien to come jumping through the next thumping human chest?
3: Well, I like like the the philosophical ramblings. Uh, uh, You know, my problem is that I think it was a movie kind of by committee with a touch of uh, one committee was for the philosophical ramblings the second committee was for the you know the the flying baby tyrannosaurus with the octopus things that suck your blood and everything to scare the pants off of you very effectively done and the the third committee was arguing for um you know developing the kind of personal relationships that uh, turn a movie like um alien covenant uh into something that would be of interest not just to 13 year olds so all all that is in play here and i think The to the movie to its credit really keeps all the all the uh, the balls juggled and up in the air, but they're kind of out of balance. And you know they have the you know the uh, creativity or uh, uh, is the purview of the truly human. They debate that and that what makes you truly human. They debate on the spaceship is it duty or is it love? I mean all these things are interesting, but in the kind of the movie is so committed through the other committee's work. To uh, you know, providing the goods for, it, for the sci-fi series that I, I gather that you love, that I think that they are in, they're in, it's impatient with its own uh, rich elements. But I, but, I, but 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 I, um, I I I liked it, and uh, I I would recommend it. Um, it's a little weird.
0: So. Th- this is a a series that I am quite fond of, and even though I've, I've only seen the the first Alien back from nineteen seventy nine, it was Sigourney uh, Weaver. Sigourney Weaver Love also Sigourney directed Weaver. by Ridley Scott, but not just Sigourney Weaver, John Hurt uh, and Tom Skerritt and uh, Ian Ian Holm uh, back in that seventy nine version. But then this, I mean, this series has long been uh, a vehicle for kind of young, uh, very exciting, kind of talented filmmakers to. Uh, take their their first break at making a kind of big buck big uh, big budget but kind of uh, surprisingly substantive action sci-fi spectacular. The next movie was directed by James Cameron uh, who did aliens. Then we have David Fincher doing Alien 3. Um, and the Alien 4 was by Jean-Pierre Junet who did Amélie and Lost City of Children and stuff like that. Oh, he did Amélie. Yeah. Amélie
3: is so, fabulous. So th-
0: this series has, and this See is, you that know, that, instead. When when I first started getting into movies, maybe five or six years ago, a friend of mine recommended a book called On Film by this philosopher named Stanley. Uh, Stanley Cavell, I think is his name. Oh, no, uh, Stephen Mohal. I'm sorry, Stephen Mohall. And what he does is he, does, he offers this kind of deep reading of each of the four alien movies and talks about how film, as evidence in this series, is capable of kind of contributing to philosophical conversations, not just reflecting conversations or trends that happen independently of movies, not just looking at artwork as a mirror for what's happening in the real world, but rather artwork as participating in a kind of self-reflective, Uh, kind of introspective dialogue Um, in the way that we ask any other kind of major rigorous philosophical text to engage with. And what he finds in the Alien series, I mean, this is part of this kind of whole movement of reading very deeply into pop culture, and sometimes it can be a bit maddeningly fatuous. But but sometimes I think, you know, it's the Alien series, I think, makes a very strong argument for treating kind of silly genre pictures quite seriously as telling us something about ourselves, about the way that we structure our society and, and think about our bodies. And what he gets at in Alien, which I think is quite prominent in this movie, too— is this intense kind of insecurity about one's body that we have as humans. I mean, on the one hand, yes, the aliens are kind of constantly penetrating people's bodies, and it's a very kind of violent sexual endeavor. Here, they kind of seep into the ear and then up the nose, but what they always do is kind of emerge from your chest. And whenever, and the, this this holds true with uh, you know the violation of the integrity of the spaceship. Anytime that this, whatever the aliens are meant to represent, this kind of merciless nature that is only bent on reproducing or some kind of larger force that takes no consideration for uh, the you know human sensitivity and mortality. There's there's always something to looking to disrupt this this bodily integrity of ours. But I think that the series and focusing so prom- heavily on Michael Fassbender's androids, and this is the long one to a question I want to ask you here. I mean, did you find that focusing on uh, Walter and David? Was enough. It sounds like it wasn't quite balanced enough for you, but for, for me, whenever we spent time, probably it's because I was so engaged by Fassbender's performance as these two kind of complementary androids. But did and that's what I remember. I don't really remember anything about much of the action in the movie. But what I do remember when I think back on it is um, are these these conversations between the androids and getting at something that really Scott you know examined in Blade Runner, going back to. Uh, that late 1980s uh, sci-fi movie. Um, what is it exactly that makes us human and how much of it is uh, our our body? I mean, because clearly an android is something um, that is both embodied like people but made of slightly different stuff than the humans around it. Um, I don't know. I, I find that he's able to explore those issues in an entertaining, but also surprisingly is is profound too big of a word to apply to anything with the word alien in the title? Alien? Uh,
3: yeah, pretty much. But but it but it but it is it, it is interesting to ask these questions and the uh, you know the whole, the sci uh, uh, and it was Ridley Scott who did Blade Runner. Yeah, I was a, I was a kind of a standalone,
0: which was it was a follow up to Alien as well. So that was that. right.
3: And 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 uh, you know what what I think is uh, interesting about that is it forecasts. It's set in what for nineteen. 19- 80 or 79. It, it's set in the distant future, 2019, which is not too, right. too far away. But it was also about these replicants, these creatures um, that are, uh, you know, s- sort of approach the human, but aren't quite the human. You know, it's interesting what you say about the fragility of the body. And certainly the, 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 the way this movie in a visceral way um, uh, attacks us and, or keeps us engaged is, is, in these horrible eruptions, attacks on, and then the explosions of the body, and I I think it's, I think that's not that that somehow stands in a kind of um, uh, tension with with this cerebral debate that goes on in the movie about does creativity make us human? I mean, and is the ultimate creativity the 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 physical eruption of a giving birth? And the movie seems to suggest that the the aliens prevail because they use the human body as a kind of uterus they erupt out of these people's chests and attack but in the end i mean the very final sequence is uh, the uh, surviving uh android who has survived and prevailed because he has creativity as a that it's the david figure He 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 prevails against walter who is a more advanced version, but more advanced by human standards, means that he's less creative and therefore more under the control of the humans. So, But he prevails, and the form of birth that he chooses is a kind of vomiting up embryos of himself that he puts in a drawer like specimen's. No, will, no, no,
0: these aren't aliens. these so this is a bit of a, a spoiler alert, there but this, yeah. this, it's it's not it's well, himself, but he, rather b- they're of the aliens that he's been kind of incubating on that that planet he's bringing these aliens to whatever next planet this this spaceship is flying to in order to because I think that you're right creativity is a key word in this movie and it's bandied about kind of over and over and over again um but on the one hand these aliens are creative and that their sole purpose in this world is to reproduce at all costs Um, They are constantly kind of replicating themselves and creating new versions of themselves at nauseam. And then we have the type of kind of creative destruction that this android uh, um, David is more inclined to, which is not just to reproduce himself but to create something that is recognized as kind of beautiful unique and artistic achievement almost in in the way that he's surrounded right. by those achievements in the But, very it's, a, but movie. it's
3: a muddle. I mean uh, I mean it's a muddle. The 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 uh, what does creativity mean? Does it mean to create a kind of a David uh, masterpiece of art or does it have to do with a, a human relationship? Because one of the really odd moments in the movie is when is when Walter and David kind of kiss each other. And it's almost a kind of gay Android uh, moment, which is really weird. And Walter, the good uh, human under still under human control. Android does not respond to uh, the more creative David's embrace. So it seems to suggest that, um, that uh, if you are drawn to another person as a, personality to personality that that is that that's a suggestion of creativity in terms of defining the human every bit as important as creating a pieta or what have you and i think that it it's sort of interesting to think about
0: of having uh you know this one android kiss the other both played by the same actor is that not only do you get do you get this character kind of groping for any kind of emotional connection to someone who he feels like maybe his like intellectual and physical equal but also talk about as close a realization of the narcissist myth as possible if you you don't have to look into the water to kiss yourself anymore Um, just look at an exact version of yourself it's it's like the ultimate representation of the intense like Ego of this character to think. Well, you could. He's finally found someone to match himself, which is himself.
3: <laughs> well, that's right. Which is himself, but not quite himself, because not quite Wall, himself. not quite himself. And that you you could argue from a plot point of view that that triggers his rampage. That after that he he decides he decides as uh somebody somebody had this. He decides to uh to beat the humans at their own game, and the best of their own game is the creation of these androids. That um, do everything for humans, just but but depend on the humans for their very life. This is a spectacular quotation by Stephen Hawking that I, I, I kicked up somewhere when I was looking at some of the reviews. Hawking, who himself is you know because of his I guess ALS or his 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 his, his, his
0: debilitating physical illness,
3: he's utterly dependent on machines to live. And he said, "We have at best one hundred years to live." Before evolved machines um, take human imperfection as justification for wiping us out, I mean that is. I I mean, if you to your initial question is is the sci-fi genre a basis for thinking about things for thinking about that? Yes.
0: And I'm I'm afraid that we're out of time. That's where we're going to have to end. But I think that that is the key question. I mean, you don't have to. you don't have to understand Hawking's quotation literally there in order to be kind of shaken by the consequences of developing technology. And I think you don't have to take alien literally in order to to get something out of it, right? I mean, our increasing dependence upon technology, at one point do we tip into the realm of kind of complete dependence and then... Uh, uh, being kind of overtaken by technology, mm-hmm. I'm you know clutching at my phone right now as we speak. Uh, these things that we already hold to our faces about right. twenty and, hours out of
3: twenty four. But you, well, you should you should remind um our our listeners that this didn't begin with with this series that you love. It really, I mean, it be, it sure. begins uh, in movies and in in books with uh, I mean, one of the uh, one of the great sci-fi films that raises these questions about about uh, you know. Uh, life and death um uh what is the great 1951 film with the um it's not forbidden planet Planet. no no it's before forbidden planet is oh michael rennie plays this spectacular alien who comes to earth
0: oh i think i know what you're talking about but i don't have the title and i'm afraid that we've listeners you'll have to look up 1953
3: and the beautiful um um Peggy um, Neal, no, what's her name? Uh, Can't remember her either, but it's an absolutely wonderful um, flying saucer that lands somewhere in um, Washington, D.C., and unless the humans... uh, The Day the
0: Earth Stood Still. The
3: Day the Earth Stood Still. And what's her name? Patricia Neal plays the uh, the human who really understands right. the alien.
0: But you can look to two thousand one Space Odyssey. Uh, I mean, Blade well, Runner, when H- when alien, Hal and, takes and, over, right, I mean, this is a familiar theme. It is a familiar yeah, theme, and it's, and but it's it's a rich. I mean, it's one worth returning to. I think. I'm afraid that we're we're over time. I'm going to have to cut us off. But you recommend it or nay?
3: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> you should watch this, and you can watch it on Earth or on <laughs> Venus, where I am from, Tom.
0: Alan, the alien. Thank you so much.